And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Look, hardware is hard. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Anyone that's worked in and around any kind of startup that makes any type of hardware will give you that quote. Now, that makes things difficult for those that make hardware. Now, have I made it clear that hardware is hard? Now, before I, we get too far into this, I want to let you know that taking care of employees has never been more important. And for years, Gusto has been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform, and it doesn't just look nice. It actually works. So your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, your team members get paid, and you can even offer health insurance and 401k. You can get three free months after your first payroll run when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, that's gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link in the show notes. So back to the subject of hardware being hard. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about IoT hardware startups. And as usual, I've brought in a subject matter expert to help us explore this topic. With me today, I have Ted Conrad, and he is the founder of Fireboard Labs. You can go to fireboard.com to learn more about what they do. There's also a link in the show notes for that. First off, let's uh, give a warm welcome to Ted. Ted, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, before we got on the, uh, uh, before we, we hit, hit go live, uh, Ted and I were trying to figure out if we have talked to each other about this. So we may, we may have some memories dislodged along the way and, and learn more about uh, everything that they do at Fireboard, but no one tells the story better than the founder themselves. So Ted, why don't you give us and those viewing and listening uh, background on what you guys do at Fireboard as well as what brought you to that? Sure. Well, so Fireboard is really a, a wireless cloud-connected thermometer, and we have other products, but that's really the main product. So if people know the company name Fireboard, but they know the product as Fireboard as well. And we sell, we sell the thermometer to kind of multiple uh, channels, if you will. We have the consumer side, and a lot of that comes into like the barbecue and cooking world. So a lot of us kind of know, know Fireboard through barbecue and that, that industry. But there's also quite a bit on the commercial side. We have restaurants, we have grocery stores, there's laboratories. The other day, you know, I like to tell this story, a, a big fish farm, you know, bought the thermometer. We have all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, breweries will purchase it. So if you think about it, temperature is literally everywhere. And if it's, you know, cold storage, if it's, you know, tracking data, 
the center temperatures, making sure things don't get too hot. So it, wherever you turn, it seems like there's always a problem to solve with, with tracking temperature. Um, and really what kind of got us into it, um, 2014, I was basically starting to kind of play around just as a hobby. I was starting to cook outdoors with, uh, you know, barbecue and kind of smoking. And I realized, gosh, there's nothing that was easy for me to buy that was kind of remote cloud-based temperature tracking. And I, I've always been a technology guy, right? So I was, my first 14 years was really in the investment world. Uh, but I've always tinkered around with, with different things, you know, hardware and taking things apart and little projects, um, electrical projects. And then if, of course, doing a lot of programming and development, kind of that's a little bit of my background in the investment world. We wrote our own software, uh, trading systems, you know, management systems. So I kind of had this expertise on the technology side and, you know, many different reasons we can get into more of that later, but it ended up kind of being the right time. And in 2015, I decided to start Fireboard. And then one of my good college buddies, Stephen Brigaman, um, joined up with me. So he was, he was ready for an adventure as well. And so we uh, jumped into it. And what we found was, it, it obviously, it took a while to do the R&D piece of this. I mean, it, building a product, and we had to do the electrical engineering. Uh, we had to build the mobile apps from scratch, the, all the software that runs on the server backend. So everything that is Fireboard today, we built literally ourselves. And that took about two years. Um, is about, I think, a year and three quarters or something like that. We did a Kickstarter. Uh, the product was basically done, but we kind of did a Kickstarter to just launch things and kind of marketing, get, get stuff out there. Uh, and from there, we had a nice kind of organic pickup in, in sales. And it's been a pretty steady growth year over year. Um, and where we are today, we have about 20 employees. Um, we sell... As I mentioned, the majority of it would be into kind of the consumer space, but we've partnered up with a few other companies um, designing controllers and other hardware for them kind of in the barbecue world, but brings the Fireboard technology to them. So that's that's basically where Fireboard stands today. And, you know, like anybody who's in a startup, we're just, we're thankful to just keep on cranking here. <laughs> Well, I, I, I shouldn't find it surprising that here in Kansas City, now, for those of you that are listening from outside Kansas City, we take our barbecue pretty seriously here. I have lived in five different places, probably, that claim to be the barbecue capital of the world, but I still think it's right here in KC. Um, and I want to go on record, KC Masterpiece is not my favorite barbecue sauce. It never has been and it never will be because I get asked that every time I go somewhere. But, you know, the barbecue is is taken seriously here and it's a it's a hobby. It's a it's dinner and it's something that a lot of people rally around. So I shouldn't be surprised that uh, that an IoT startup began with that need to create stuff. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, hardware is hard. Why is hardware hard? Yeah, it's if you think about a product that you go buy at, oh, I don't know, you know, Best Buy, if Best Buy is still in business. But I mean, you know, if you go pick up uh, any electronic device, 
most of them are imported. But if you think about it, the the steps that you have to go through to get that actual product sitting on a shelf, you know, it, it all basically starts with an understanding of electrical theory. And so we we actually had a guy, one of the partners, Fireboard, um, is is a really incredible electrical engineer, and he he built the first, well, actually all the generation of fireboards that we have, but he, the first one that we did, we had to sit down, we had to make a, a prototype, you know? So if you, if you basically think about where we, I guess it took us basically two years, that's literally, if you rewind, you know, we, we kind of brought it to market at the end of 2016, but it was the beginning of 2015 is when we started those initial prototypes. And, you know, we, you know, soldered those by hand. We, we started testing and playing with them and then we revised those. Uh, the other thing is when you do a printed circuit board, um, you know, you can't just, it's not something that you just push print. I mean, it, you have to order it, you know, it takes several weeks to have that board fabricated. So the, 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 the iteration cycle, if you will, with, with software, obviously you can deploy things very rapidly. Um, but you, if you're going to do a board spin, they call it board spin. Whenever you revise the printed circuit board, you know it's it's going to take several weeks before you get that back and you actually have that board built. Now we've sped that up. One thing I think to our advantage, um, and Matt, you know I'm a huge proponent of you know the hardware world, obviously, and I would love to see more of that in Kansas City. Um, so I think. You know, you you hit the nail on the head, and you know it's hard. But I guess the one encouragement that I would say is, maybe it's not as hard as it sounds. Um, I think it's if you come at it from a realistic expectation that it's it is going to be difficult. I don't think it's insurmountable. Um, I think anybody that really has an interest in picking up a device and looking at it, taking it apart, thinking about how does this thing work, how does this LED turn red or how does it turn green? You know, what, what's the little trace on the printed circuit board connected back to the microprocessor? I mean, if, if you're one of those people that likes to tinker with electronics, you know, the, the barriers to entry now are far lower than they ever have been. So I think I would, I, you know, I, my, my opinion is it's, it's doable. It's, uh, the path is the pathway is there and there's people there to help people as well. And I think I even throw my name in the hat, you know, in terms of, of other people that have questions, you know, I would love to see more of that in Kansas city. You know, one it, it, to simplify some of what, you know, Ted's talking about here is with hardware, it, you know, software and well, 10 years ago when I first started building software, it was not as straightforward to issue an update or push things to servers. You had, you know, things like GitHub and Bitbucket and these things that these code sharing repositories that make it uh, simple to not overwrite other people's work and info. Um, you know, you can change it. You can fix a, a quote problem on your, on your web, you know, website, your web server, your SaaS product with a click of a button. It's not that straightforward when it comes to hardware. And, you know, when he's talking about printed and embedded circuitry and stuff like that, there is software that runs inside it. It is also typically um, an art and a skill that is specialized, meaning you uh, and I and I know this because at full scale, 
and that, you know, we help people build software and our office is in Cebu city in the Philippines, which is the, the home to several places that do a lot of hardware stuff, Lexmark, like the printers, national cash register, uh, Mercedes Benz is there. And there's, like I said, it's, it's first off, typically a different type of coding language than what you see. Uh, online products offering. And then you got to get that inside the hardware. And that's not to mention making the hardware. So most companies that are quote, software companies do exactly that the soft side of technology. So anybody that's got an IoT related product, and you know, this is where I first started learning about it was here locally from Davion Ross, uh, shot tracker. And Shot Tracker does a, you know, has a basketball product. So they have a sensor inside of a basketball that, you know, does all these different things. And you just think about these, there's just so many little goofy things that we'd never considered. Like you can't put the sensor, it has to be exactly in the middle of the basketball. Otherwise it could make it just a little bit lopsided. And you talk about getting the code in and out of these things and, and you got to build stuff. It's often built somewhere else and, and different stuff. And oh, wait. Do we have to put it together too? You know, and that's that's actually something you you do you do that here. Yeah, so that's that's a great part of our story. How we started in 2016, we found a contract manufacturer here in Kansas City, um, and that if contract manufacturer is is literally just that. I mean, it's it's a it's a in electronics world. It's really a guy or a group of people that have put together an assembly line for the circuit boards and you can just hire them out. Um, you can do it in several different ways, but basically you kind of give them the build and then they come back to you with the finished boards. And then from there, you kind of have what they call the box build. So if you think about like a printed circuit board gets placed into a plastic box or the case, maybe you hook on the battery, right? You screw down the top and then you can kit it into the, you know, the product packaging and all that stuff. So that's from a very high level, kind of how we did it at the beginning. Um, as you know, or as you could guess, you know, contract manufacturing in the electronic world is for the most part done overseas. And so to do that here in Kansas city, our cost of contracting with this company here in KC was pretty high. And we stuck with them for, for maybe a couple of years. And then, about two years ago, we decided to purchase the machines to do our own printed circuit assembly. So again, for those people who are uh, familiar with this, the electronics world, I mean, the, the assembly of a printed circuit board, all these little components get placed on the board and somebody picks it up and they're like, wow, all these little microprocessors are on here. Well, the machines to do that, you know, it's basically kind of like a huge 3D printer. I mean, it takes a, a part and then it places on the board so all of those parts get placed and it goes through an oven and then out of the oven comes a, a final um, assembled board that works. So bringing that in-house was a huge step for us. That's not a step that we could take day one because you have to have the volume to support it. Uh, but by the time you start thinking about, oh, I don't know, you know, 10,000 boards a year or, or more than that, um, you, the math starts to make sense. I mean, these machines are not, millions of dollars. I mean, they're, you can get into it, you know, maybe 50, 70, you know, hundred grand, um, or a little bit more than that gets you a pretty nice, potentially hundreds of thousands in the low hundreds. Um, 
So that math starts to make sense. And then all of a sudden, then you have a fully functional line. You can run through, we can prototype boards in a matter of a few hours. We can literally program the machine and run these boards through. That has helped us tremendously. Um, and I would encourage anybody who's getting into you know, the hardware world, have some ability to do relatively rapid prototyping in-house. You don't have to buy a huge assembly line, but you can do, you can buy like a stencil printer that allows you to rapidly put solder paste on a board and then you can quickly solder components down. Um, that allows you to, to move and iterate and kind of decrease the cycle time like I was talking about before. Um, and that allows you to really solve these hardware-ish problems, right? Tell number of crazy, funny things. Like if, like if we have a temperature probe plugged in and it's like 72 degrees and all of a sudden you plug in USB. And so the USB, there's a little component on the board that starts charging the lithium ion battery. So all of a sudden you have a huge increase in the electrical current going onto the board. Right. So then what we found was this is back, you know, in 2016, it was affecting the temperature, you know, so you really have to dig in there with your, yeah, you kind of your magnifying glass and your multimeter and figure out what's going on. So, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. You know, I think it's, it's fun for people to like this stuff. And again, I would encourage people, um, we did it. Um, we've, we've bootstrapped fireboard from, from day one, you know? And so even though it is, it can be pretty capital intensive, I think our trajectory has been growing at a pace that we've been able to sustain it and kind of fund it ourselves. So I would encourage people to to give it a go. So you, for those that listen to the show, you've probably heard me say this before, but we're in this golden age of innovation because there, as you alluded to early in the show, there's, there's a level of accessibility to certain hardware things. Like you just mentioned, like buying your own rapid prototyping, 3D printing machine, that, that stuff wasn't out there 10 years ago. And then like I've spoke, we've had other people on the show or talked to in the past that are working on something they use, like uh, you have all these kind of like quote kit items, like the Arduino. Uh, the Arduino is something that it's, uh, it's, it's like a programmable servo of sorts. And, you know, it's a circuit board and, and stuff like that. And, you know, hooking things like the raspberry Pi up to it and all this stuff. Now uh, that, you know, that's, that's enabled. Uh, it's not that those are necessarily the end stop for certain innovation, but the ability to create a prototype and just show any, an investor or a client or even yourself, that it could work. And, you know, much like you mentioned that ability to, to change things on the fly. So where, where you run into the, the, for those of you listening, the problematic part is, so Ted, you told a story about plugging a USB in and it, it kind of makes the data wonky because it wants to charge or it wants to do something else and it heats it up. And now a 72 degrees, actually 75 when it's really only 72. And the problem is, is if you uh, have someone in Guangzhou, China, make you 15,000 boards and they all have wonkiness in them, well, then you're going to have a wonky product or you're going to throw them all in the trash. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that's interesting that, that, that rapid prototyping is available. Now you mentioned having a background in the financial world. Um, did, had you ever soldered or created a circuit board prior to any of this? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you know, my friends, you know, anybody that knows me would say Ted's always been kind of a, of a, of a tech geek and nerd, you know, um, you know, well, I'll tell you real fast, you know, I grew up, you know, my, my dad was an attorney, but he, he played around with ham radio stuff. And so in the basement, you know, we'd have, you know, all sorts of parts and soldering irons and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it was a, it was a literally a, a playground for me in the electronics world and I would build things and play with things. So I had that sort of, I guess, inclination at a young age to kind of take things apart and to kind of be curious about all these devices. And I guess it was, you know, in 2013, 14, we started seeing these wireless modules come down in price and that's really what opened, I think, the door because this type of product, I mean, you, you couldn't sell a thermometer for, you know, $400. I mean, like, so now it, it lowered the price to where it really makes sense. I mean, the thermometer that we sell is is wireless and it's Bluetooth. And to have a combined wireless and Bluetooth module um, and put that onto a board with all the other circuits that you need and all the other components that you need, you know, a screen and a battery and all that stuff. And to get it to a retail price point, we sell ours at 189. Um, and the other, by the way, Matt, the other real quick thing, just as a, as a rule of thumb for people who are, who are listening and are curious, you know, I, I had a crash course in retail pricing because in the investment world, I obviously we had nothing and I knew nothing about selling a product and wholesale prices and yada, yada, yada. But if you think about the final product sitting on the shelf, if you divide that by three, maybe 3.5 or something like that, that should be your cost just as a general rule of thumb. And again, it's, it's different for every industry, you know, our industry, barbecue world and barbecue accessories. There's a relatively good markup in those. If you think about, you know, a lot of the retail stores that sell t-shirts, they might buy that shirt for $10. They sell it for 20. You know, we're not, we're not doing that, but um, we still have some pretty good markup in there. The electronics world in general, there's not quite as much markup in electronics um, as you see in other, other products like selling a spatula, for example, obviously there's a huge markup in that. So again, rule of thumb for people that kind of divide that retail price by three, that's really what your cost for the product would be. So, um, yeah, long story short, you know, we, we, now the other thing is, Matt, I'd make, make a comment vertically integrated. You mentioned the comment about trying to debug something remotely in China. And we've built Fireboard to be as vertically integrated as we can. And that, even though we're doing a lot of this stuff in the U.S., and so our labor costs might be higher, but we've reduced the cost because we're not, we don't have these other people in the middle of our production chain that are, are putting in profit layers all the way through. So we've been trying to do as much as we can in-house. And right now the economics makes sense. I mean, if you look at the cost that we have of buying the components and doing the assembly here, and then the final retail price, I mean, it it's working. So I, th- I think it's, again, it's a word of encouragement for those that are, they're looking at it. Yeah, I want to get into more of that and some of the go-to-market strategy. Before we do that, you know, look, paydays are great, but running payroll, calculating taxes, deductions, compliance, none of that's easy unless 
you have Gusto. So Gusto is simple online payroll and benefits built for small businesses. Gusto automatically files your payroll taxes and direct deposits your team's pay. Plus, you can offer all kinds of benefits like 401k, health insurance, workers' comp, and more. And because you're a Startup Hustle listener, you can get three free months once you run your first payroll. You can go to gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. That is, there's a link in the show notes for that. Now, uh, in, in Congress with some of that messaging, how much did you have to learn as, because you mentioned there's a difference between, uh, well, certain sides of like you had a background in finance and different stuff, but when you become a business owner, I think you get a crash course right away and what you have to deal with. And like you have benefits, taxes, uh, work, workers comp, uh, what about 401k? And then you're dealing with all this and wait, it's got to happen every two weeks. And a lot of people don't realize that once your payroll gets to a certain size, they actually take taxes every day. Like there is a deposit or a withdrawal from your account uh, every day. And I mean, how much of that stuff did you have to bring yourself up to speed on when it came to starting this business? Yeah, there's there. I had to learn a decent amount of that um, when I before this. Oh, and by the way, Matt, before I forget, we actually do use Gusto. So, uh, oh, you do? We, there you go. <laughs> well, there you we, go. Yeah, we actually we we do. You know, we we enjoy their service. It's it's super simple to use. I mean, it. I can't remember mm -hmm. how I found them. Oh, I found them because our, our accounting software is Xero, X-E-R-O, but it's kind of a QuickBooks lookalike. And it's mm -hmm. a little bit cheaper than I think QuickBooks. Anyway, they had a they integrate very well with Gusto. So I, I just throw that in there. But yeah, I had to learn, you know, obviously a lot of this stuff. And anybody that starts a company, you're just literally you get pushed into this and you just you learned it on the fly, and that's fine. But I did I, I think it's important too that yeah, and I, I don't want to be discouraging, but I think people need to go in with this eyes wide open. You know, starting a company is is not easy, and you know, it's 14 years that I basically worked for other companies, and then I kind of had the opportunity to start a little bit of a small investment firm inside of a larger investment firm. So I had a little bit of a of an equity stake, and I had a little bit of independence, and it was it was kind of like my my little company, but it, it was a shared deal. Um, that opened up some opportunities I could talk about, but, um, having that experience was, was key. You know, there, there would have been no way out of college that I could have jumped into this and, and pulled this off. Um, and every business is different. So I don't think you can say, well, it has to be a certain number of years, but I would really encourage people if, if people are interested in starting a company, I mean, I, when I graduated college, I, I wanted to start a company even before college, I felt like at some point I was going to be an entrepreneur. I, I just always had that inclination to kind of have my own business and kind of do something exciting and crazy, I guess. Um, but I think after, after college, I realized I have to learn about what's, what's out there in the world. I have to hopefully save some capital and have the financial wherewithal to, to maybe pull something off. Um, and all the different things that I was exposed to, I mean, like in the investment world, you're exposed to legal, um, you're exposed to accounting, you're exposed to economics and all sorts of people. And then the network that you build um, was, it was really helpful too, because again, 
even if you knew all those things I just listed, if you don't have a network of people, and it, it could be as simple as just having friends that are kind of in the business world, they're able to bounce different ideas off of. I don't necessarily mean a network in terms of investment network. Um, that's obviously a, a different but important part of it as well. But I think just having mentors, um, and you guys talk about this, you know, all the time, I know, but I, I just think it's, it's very key to think about, um, especially you talk about doing hardware, you know, we're doing hardware and the software. Um, it's difficult, but it's, it's possible, but it's really only possible if you really go fully armed. You know, I've, I've kind of told friends, this is almost like going in a battle. You know, I mean, if you think about it, you're going in a battle, I mean, what do you do? You don't just walk out, you know, but you, you get your, your full suit on, you get your boots, you get every single thing you possibly can, you think you might need. And that's kind of how I felt. You know, I felt like, okay, I finally understood enough about software. You know, I, I finally understood enough about the legal framework of, of how these companies are set up. I finally understood, um, you know, how to manage different people. You know, I finally understood economics of, and I, furthermore, I finally had enough ability to basically get the company going financially for about a year, year and a half or two years, um, which you know, I'd love to dig into that too, because I think the uh, funding some of these things, it's, it's a whole separate conversation. But um, you really need to go to this with the strategy that you're going in a battle, but you're ready to, you're ready to do it. Um, so that was kind of my approach. So I'm happy to, yeah, happy to dig in kind of more on the investment side, uh, Matt, if you'd like, but uh, it was it's kind uh, of an interesting well, background. Well, one of the things, you know, that a lot of people, so you talk about, all right, so you're, you're, you're cooking in your backyard, you're making a brisket or whatever you were making. And all of a sudden you're like, why isn't there something that helps me do this? So every entrepreneur spots a problem and that problem becomes worth solving or attempting to solve, uh, you know, and there's a whole process you go through. And usually it's something as entrepreneurs that we feel passionate about and, really in the end, we just want to solve this problem. And, and most of the entrepreneurs I know become obsessed with solving the problem. And, you know, like there's not a big, there's not a, there's a very fine line between being driven and being obsessed people. It's, it's quite different. And then you get into it and then you realize that there are so many things in a business that demand your attention that are not exactly in line with what you would rather be doing, which is back to the obsessively finding the solution. And, you know, whether it's building a thermometer or software or, uh, you know, some type of public service, it's all the same. And that's, you know, that's why I always tell people, I'm like, you got to figure out the parts in your business that are the best to create efficiency around, to hire experts around. I see too many people try to learn how to do it all themselves. And they're like, yeah, but I'm saving a hundred bucks a month. I'm like, eh, is that really worth it? You know, and there's a lot of different things out there. And that's, you know, that's what's cool about something like Gusto or all different kinds of uh, software and services out there is they can let you get back to being obsessed with what you are working on. Now, one thing I'm obsessed about is selling things. And I love, I love selling stuff. And I don't want to get out of this episode before we talk about that because, in an IoT hardware startup, you've got a completely different uh, go-to-market strategy when it comes to all of it. 
And, you know, like you hear the terms, there's all these buzzwords in the world of startups, like scalable. Scalable has a different meaning for a business like yours than it does for, say, Gigabook, which I'm the founder of at Gigabook. And part of why the software as a service companies trade for these crazy multiples is they are quite scalable. You dial up the server resources, you do a few things and your access to get your ability to potentially get in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of users is at least possible. Now, when you're selling a product, so, oh wait, we talked about needing to know about hardware and software. Now you also have to deal with supply chain. You have to deal with a whole lot of different stuff. So how did you guys go about getting these your thermometers and everything out in front of the retail world which by the way one thing you know amazon helps a lot of a lot of potential product creators and sellers actually amplify that volume but it is a completely different approach than software which is i mean for all intents and purposes vapor you know, it's not an actual, uh, it's not an actual thing you hold in your hand. So how did you go from concept to launch, go to market, all of that? I mean, what, what was that? What was, what did that process look like? Yeah. So it it is kind of funny because exactly what you said, I mean, you create something and then all of a sudden you're like, now, wait a second, what do I do? How do I get this out there? (laughs) You're just, you're almost staring at it in your hand and you're like, how do I, how do I get people to buy this? Um, and of course, you you know, people, I'm sure you've had this conversation with other founders that have an idea and they're very secretive about the idea right at the beginning. And it, you know, it doesn't, you know, one thing to throw out there, it doesn't take long before if you actually build what you're trying to build, it's no longer a secret. And then the uh, the ironic thing is you're trying extremely hard to try to get it out there, right? <laughs> you're trying to tell everybody you can, and it seems like nobody's listening. And um, so that's that was kind of the, the question for us. So what we did in 2016, we decided to do the Kickstarter. And we basically used Kickstarter. And I, I don't think we were disingenuous about it, but we we had some work to do to finish kind of the, the software side. The, the hardware was basically done. But we kind of said, hey, look, Kickstarter would give us a chance to really launch this product out in a decent way. Um, and it, you do a lot of marketing with Kickstarter. It was an interesting experience to go through. Um, and we didn't have like a, a huge massive campaign or anything like that, but it was successful from the standpoint of it forced us very rapidly to get a ton of marketing, a ton of materials out there about what the product is to tell our story. And as soon as we did that, um, I felt like it, the product was really in a much better place. And so that's, we, we did that at the beginning. And then from there, we, um, we, we actually launched our own .com store. And that actually was a relatively good decision to do. We, we've sold the majority of our products. Even today, we're about 60% through our own .com store. And, and I'm, I have nothing against Amazon, but we've, we've decided so far we have not done Amazon and Amazon can be a little tough on, on the sellers. So we've decided that if we can sell it direct, that, that seems to be working well. Um, you know, the other thing is in any industry, Matt, you can get out there, you can find influencers 
and we found influencers to tell our story and we we gave out a decent number of 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 units for free you know so i think you have to factor that into kind of your financials um it wasn't a massive cost but i think we probably we probably gave away 30 40 50 different thermometers just to see um if those people would kind of tell our story um and you know i think it's it maybe goes without saying but you know the product really has to work well and i think you really have to start with the fundamentals you know i've i struggled with and i've met different people throughout my career that have said hey let's let's sell it first and build it later and my philosophy has been let's build it first and sell it later i want to build and we want to build quality products and we spent we kind of set ourselves up for and i think that again goes back to the two years that we took but we took we took that time to make it right and it, it was right not only was it right on the hardware side but it was right on the mobile app side the mobile apps worked they they were very simple to use and they did everything they were supposed to do and all of that came together to build a cohesive offering and it was i will say i mean it was a little slow at the beginning because we went through this kickstarter campaign and that comes and goes and you ship product and you're kind of like okay well now i need I need more sales, right? I need sales every week. I need sales every day, every month. And it was a little slow to pick up, but then you start to get what we actually found. We had some very fortunate experience with organic, um, really word of mouth type of marketing. We've, we've done some paid advertising, but really not that much in the grand scheme of things. And I would venture to say, you know, a lot of the forms that you see out there, a lot of the the places that people talk to each other that has really been the number one source of growth for us is, is the organic word of mouth. And I think that comes back to we're building a quality product. So I, I really can't understate how important that is, or I guess overstate. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's really how we got it out. And then from there, we do have some uh, independent retailers now. I think there's about a hundred and, 20, 150-ish different independent stores, uh, retail stores. So I, I think that's important as well. People that are trying to get products out there, um, I would encourage people to price it so that you could sell it wholesale. And then by selling it wholesale, you're actually effectively gaining all those other salespeople for you, right? They're working for you and you're paying them, obviously, a pretty decent portion of the, the final price whether it's, you know, 40%, 30%, whatever it is, but you gain them as their ability to sell the product for you. And then that gets the product into more people. So I think a rising tide lifts all boats. And even though we don't make as much if we sell it wholesale as we would if somebody comes to our store directly, we sell it wholesale and then they get the product out there and then they tell more people about the product and then those people that learn about it come back to our site. So again, I really feel, I, I felt that strongly from the beginning that getting it out there and telling our story is number one. And if we build a quality product, then the sales, the sales and the financials will work. Yeah, there's so many things that you mentioned that kind of perked my ears up. One, if you're going to start a Kickstarter campaign, you have to be ready to market it. I think too many people think that they're just going to throw something up on the Kickstarter site 
and that everyone here it's like field of dreams we build it now here they all come and you know there's a lot of things in that in that site there's a lot of stuff that's in there um you know i've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people that operate on uh the yes no side of amazon um the the upside of amazon for a lot of people is it is a marketplace that puts you in front of a lot of people and then also they're you know it's funny because amazon's really just a consignment shop and it's a it's 3pl third-party logistics so they deal with the delivery and stuff like that which unless you have significant volume well there's two ways to look at it um so uh, if you only sell a couple items a week of whatever it is that you're making, it can, well, while you think, oh, yeah, I'll have all the time in the world to deliver that, you have to stop and do it. And, you know, that, so that can be a challenge uh, to, you know, to, you have to stop everything you're doing. You have to, you, I don't know, you got to do a lot of different stuff. You got to print a label, you got to box it up, you got to do all these things. Now, volume cures that, that for a lot of people, but then it presents a whole nother set of logistics issues you have to learn because now now you're shipping you now your fulfillment operation and you got to deal with a lot of stuff so yeah i have a lot of uh I, I long before i was an entrepreneur i worked in the music industry uh at the end i worked for roland and they may they sell five billion dollars worth of musical instruments every year and i got a first-hand look at like how sophisticated fulfillment is, you know, and like, and it's, yeah, it's become even more sophisticated and a lot of different stuff. So, you know, I'm glad to hear that you've had the success with your web store and the word of mouth. I think that was an appropriate play. Uh, and that's something that I recommend to everyone, especially, so you have, a, you have a niche product, you know, and I know there's a lot of different things it's used for, but if you get people, like you mentioned, get people in barbecue forums and talking about it. So I'm, I'm actually going to make some beef jerky later today um there you go. and because and because of that i last night i was looking up recipes and uh you know just and i i find myself in a couple different groups with a couple different people and you know like one of them was a lady that apparently is like i don't know she appeared to know what she was talking about but along the way had recommended a few different things that we use you know now i I, I was just looking for the recipe items, but here's the thing is, is that kind of placement, who knows how many different people are going to see that. And when you're just looking for advice or input, especially when it comes to a whole world of products, like, you know, there's, there's imitators. I, I mentioned in my book, million dollar bedroom, the moment that you appear to be successful with something, it, the clock's already been ticking and you're going to have people that are going to want to come and do the exact same thing that you do, how you do it, it, you know, any of it. It's just, it's just the way that things work. So be prepared for that. Now, speaking of being prepared and before we get into the founders freestyle as a reminder, if you run a startup, you should try Gusto payroll, deposit paychecks, file payroll and taxes automatically. Plus, get employee health insurance, onboarding, expert HR, and more. You even get three free months when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. That's once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link in the show notes, not only to Gusto, but also to Fireboard. And while you're there, click the link that will take you to all of the different places that Startup Hustle exists because you're going to want to be around when Startup Hustle TV comes out. And that's right. We are doing a web series next year, people. Next year being 2021. 
Um, I forget sometimes people like to listen to our old catalog, so I should probably say 2021. But yeah, this would be interesting. We might have to make some barbecue on the show and uh, test the thermometer and find some other people. We've actually uh, uh, had Megan Day uh, on the show. I don't know if you've ever met Megan, but she, uh, what did she can't remember that she won a cooking show as a barbecue pit master. And uh, she brought us uh, as we come up at we're, we're while this won't come out this week, or maybe it will. Um, it, it's Thanksgiving is soon or it just occurred, depending on when we publish this. But Megan brought me a barbecue bacon log um, <laughs> that day on the show. And last year at it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas. I was a freaking all star at my family get together because of this. So if you get the barbecue right, you get you win the hearts, minds and souls of people around you. So yeah, that, that's, um, the, now, that's the bacon explosion is what that's called. Yes. Have you had it? Oh, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Do you know Megan? Yeah, so that's an interesting yeah, that you mentioned her. It's an interesting I gotta story. look up that show real quick. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it actually goes hand in hand with just what we were talking about in terms of of getting the product out to market. And I, I should have mentioned this before, Matt, but I, this is a really good story that we had a gentleman. Actually, the name is Heath Heath Hall, and he's one of the I think gosh I think he was maybe one of the original guys or the first season. Um, and I'm, I'm just trying to think back. Heath Hall. Um, He's he's a guy in the in the barbecue world, um, and they they came up with a rub and some different um, products, I guess, in the barbecue accessory world. And Heath had a call with me, and he said, "Hey Ted, you know what you should do is you should go around to the some of these guys at the American Royal Barbecue." And I'm sure a lot of us that are listening here in Kansas City, unfortunately, it was canceled this year. But uh, the American Royal Barbecue is just a massive event here in Kansas City. And Heath said, hey, Ted, you should go around and meet with a handful of people. He gave me a list of names. And one of the team names was Burnt Finger Barbecue, which is Jason yep. and Megan Day. Yep. And so Jason and Megan, and, and, and Jason works, I think he's actually in the technology world as well. But they've, they've picked up Barbecue World, or they've picked up Barbecue, and they've, they've really done a great job and with competition so when you get into the world of competition cooking it's it's not just like you're out there cooking ribs and drinking beer you know i mean it's it's relatively serious I mean, you kind of have to prepare um, there's a science to building or cooking a really good product so anyway long story short we we gave jason a fireboard and about six months later he came back and he he shot me an email he's like ted this is awesome he's like this we're using this in our competition cooking process. And he was actually converting from one grill to a different grill and he was using fireboard. And I, I should mention one of the nice things with our thermometer is it keeps a really nice graph and history of your cook. So it's not just real time temperature, but you're able to go back and see, you know, what you cooked like this week, I'm going back and what, what did I cook last Thanksgiving? You know, I think I did a brisket, you know, I'm trying to remember what I did, but we were talking about it the other day. So I have in my app, I have all the history of what I've cooked. And so that's, that's a very popular feature, but Jason was using that to be able to visualize what the cook was. And as he was converting over to a different cooker and, and he was really happy. So it, this is, funny because yeah, Jason and Megan. So we, we sponsor 
Burnt Finger Barbecue, and they are actually really um, vocal supporters, and they've been a huge proponent of Fireboard. And you know, I can't thank them enough. You know, they've it's been really fun to kind of work with them the last few years. We the last I think three years we've been out at the American Royal with them. We basically share a spot, so they kind of do their thing. We kind of have our employee you know party on Friday night, and then um, we kind of use the event for a little bit of networking. Um, so th- the point of saying all that is to say if you can get your product out into people's hands that are influencers and that will tell your story and that are experts, um, that is very key to going to market. So I would encourage you know people who are trying to launch a product, I mean, figure out who the experts are with whatever product you're you're looking at and try to get your product in their hands. And obviously if it's for free, if it's a if our cost is, you know, between fifty to a hundred dollars, you know, that's a relatively low cost to put something in their hands and it pays dividends down the road. So Megan was the she on the Food Network, they have a show called Chopped. And it chopped and it was grill master season four. She won the preliminary round and then bested the other pit masters in the series finale. And I will attest to the fact there's an episode, uh, uh, where we, I tried, I, I can't remember if the other Matt was with me or not on that one, but man, we ate some barbecue and it was good. So as promised, we enter episodes or I, in my episodes at start a puzzle, uh, and by the way, go check out the other hosts on Startup Hustle. Listen to Lauren and Andrew talk about different things and stuff. But I end my episodes with Founders Freestyle. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, well, first off, thanks for joining us. And make sure if you're listening, go to fireboard.com, link in the show notes. Uh, so what's what's just a, 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 a little bit of advice you can give anybody that wants to have an IoT hardware startup uh, going forward? Well, the, you know, the, the four main things I think of, um, with our business and kind of what I, I thought about going into it, I guess the number one thing is capital, um, which maybe is obvious. I mean, um, personally, I felt like I, I kind of came at this maybe, maybe a little different, but maybe not. Um, I came at this saying I wanted to be able to, to bring in a, a little bit of a, a chunk of money so that we would have enough runway to get this going. I didn't want to have to kind of do fundraising from day one. Now I had no idea how that was going to happen. You know, I didn't know if that was going to last for a year or if it was going to last for a couple of years. So I would, the point of, I guess what I'm saying is think of ways, not today, but think of ways, if you want to start a company, you know, it, it took me 14 years by the time we were able to launch, launch Fireboard. And part of those 14 years was meeting people and getting into different positions, learning technical skills that enabled me to build some capital. It, you know, it wasn't millions of dollars. I'll just be honest. I mean, I, I didn't, um, the, the little fractional stake that I had in the investment company wasn't worth millions, but it was worth enough to kind of pay for a couple of years worth of R&D you know, to get that going. Um, and that enabled us to really get the product built. Um, the other thing is knowledge. Again, I mentioned all the different things I learned, you know, the accounting, the legal, 
Um, and for me, the software was a huge part of it. I, I, my major, I went to K-State. I majored in finance and economics. And I learned programming basically by building investment software and trying to solve some of the technical challenges we had in the investment world. You know, options trading and portfolio management and electronic trading and all that stuff. So I learned, I had some technical knowledge that I came into Fireboard with, you know, running servers, building servers, you know, building relational databases, storing data, you know, storing data in the investment world is very key. Um, so knowledge, you have to really come at this armed with as much knowledge as you can. Uh, the other part of this is your network. Like I mentioned, I mean, I think, having a deep and really diverse network of people that you can ask questions to and say, Hey, I mean, like, I remember the first question I asked for one of these guys was, um, you know, what, what attorney should we use to get our LLC started up? You know? So we ended up, I think with Greg Cradifil over at Paul Sinelli and he's, he's done a great job and he's, by the way, Greg is a huge proponent of, of Kansas city, you know, technology startups. Um, as you, I'm sure, you know, Matt, and, he recommended other people. He said, Hey, go talk to this contract manufacturer. They can build your product, you know? And so it's all of these different chain of people that you end up talking to that really helps you along the way. And then I guess the fourth, the fourth thing for me was time. Um, with Fireboard, I knew that I could not do this on the side and some businesses, I think it's maybe it's possible to kind of do something on the side for a little while, but as, as complex as the hardware was going to be and then building the software in parallel, there is no way I could do this on the side and then continue my full-time job. And so I decided that I was going to effectively quit um, and go full-time into Fireboard. And it was full-time R&D, like I said, for about a year and a half, a year and three quarters. Um, and I always, I joke that there's three phases, you know, the first phase, the startup, you, you work more, you get paid less. <laughs> and in our case, it was get, get paid nothing. But I mean, <laughs> um, the second phase, you work more, get paid the same. And then maybe I'm at that phase. I think maybe we're at that phase now, I guess. But uh, in the third phase, maybe you work less, get paid more. So <laughs> we're at someday, maybe. Dare we'll to dream. <laughs> Dare to dream. Yep. Dare to dream. Well, a lot of good input there. Now, before I, I, I finish this off with a little input of my own. So for those of you that uh, haven't yet viewed a live stream recording, we are officially recording the shows and you can watch them on the Startup Hustle uh, Facebook page or within the Startup Hustle chat community, which I recommend you all come join us and have some conversations. But uh, I have a couple comments from the live wires. So uh, Hernan Sias, our friend over at the Business Bros podcast, straight out of San Diego, saying hello. Also, Stephen Ford, Penco. Stephen, what's up? Have you caught up with all of the episodes yet is the real question. Stephen's out of Oakland. You got, check out Penco. Uh, Stephen's trying to, he is he is the the listener we know that uh, that we have documented as having or in the process of making the attempt of listening to every episode of Startup Hustle. So Stephen, episode 500 in early January, better get to work, dude. 
Um, he, last time I talked to him, he was in June and that was when we expanded the host lineup. So we're making it difficult on him. And then, uh, Jessica Powell, who I, who, you know, Ted, uh, said fireboard is fire. It's great to hear the story of Ted Conrad. Now, as I wrap this episode up, I mean, you know, there's a few key points that, that, that came up here and, you know, it, it, from my perspective, this is a harder road to success than than uh, many types of startups. And you know, building software is hard, so you got to learn how to do that. The hardware component's hard. You got physical products, supply chain management, like a whole lot of different things. Um, this is a remarkably complex way to start a business, and. Uh, I think that's where, you know, you mentioned, yeah, I know, I know Greg uh, Crowderfell. I went to high school with him. He's one of our many attorneys. Um, and you talk about the whole, uh, you know, finding experts. And we talked about that, you know, early in the show when we were actually talking about Gusto and thanks to them for sponsoring the episode. But there's all these things you got to deal with in this type of business. And if you're going to, if you try to learn how to be, an A plus expert and all of them, then that's all you're going to do. So I think that trying to get that stuff figured out early and, you know, try to find the right ways to get what you need, how you need it, and in the volumes that you need it is really key. And, uh, you know, so many different things to learn. You're not going to be able to be, you're not going to be able to be your business's expert at every single one of them. So if you get a chance, go check out Fireboard. It's fireboard.com. There's a link in the show notes. Come find us on Instagram, Facebook, join the Startup Hustle chat. If you're interested, if you're interested in your business potentially being featured on our upcoming web series, you can go to startuphustle.xyz and submit your information there. It only takes a couple of minutes. Thanks again for joining us, Ted. I'm looking forward to following up on your progress down the road. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's great to be on here. Appreciate it. All right. I'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Cause, cause, cause,